What is up, bosses? Before we kick off this week's episode, let me tell you about our sponsor, Indeed.com. Indeed is the hiring site to help you find quality candidates instantly. That's right. They have a new feature called Instant Match. It searches through millions of resumes in their database to help get you great candidates instantly. I'm going to tell you all about Instant Match and how it works during the break, but if you want to go there right now, all you got to do is head over to Indeed.com slash iLab. Do that you'll get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. It's their best offer anywhere. So once again, it's indeed.com slash ILAB. That's indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny F.D. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Welcome to Invest Like a Boss. It is episode 175. My name is Derek Spartz. I just got back from a trip from Minneapolis, got my three days of cold in for the year, back to warm, sunny Los Angeles. As far as I know, Sam is island hopping somewhere in Thailand. Where are you at, Sam? Just got back from PP Island and I'm back in Phuket. And by comparison, Phuket feels like a mainland big city because PP Island is very small, very tropical and very remote. Uh, so actually a I... couple of days there felt good, was nice, but I'm glad to be back to the bigger island of Phuket. I think I saw a poolside post from you on Instagram and you were alone. It was an empty pool. <laughs> You've been checking out my shirtless photos on Instagram you know. <laughs> again. Have you, Derek? I keep catching you doing this. I, gotta, I almost, I almost slid in this. the DMs, but you know, I, I held back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was nobody there, man. It was wild. It's and even, like we took a longboat out around the, the islands, and uh, all the longboat the longboat driver was just like, "You'll never, ever in a lifetime see it like this again." We're just going into all these little coves where on a normal day when there's tourists there, there'd be 50 other long boats and big motor tour boats. And there's, there's nothing. We just like had all these islands to ourselves. It was pretty awesome. It felt kind of like, like James Bond back in the day, nice. you know, he's kind of going through there and just all quiet. So pretty sweet experience. I feel you, man. On my flight back the other day, they changed my seat on me and I was like, Oh, please tell me at least I'll have an aisle seat. Right. Mm. So I get in there. Yeah. I had the whole aisle. <laughs> The plane was maybe, <laughs> maybe 30% full. So it was nice. I got a poor man's first class. <laughs> I flew over on Korean air and it was the same. I'm like, I'm going awesome. to, the, the flight was, uh, economy was a thousand dollars from Atlanta to Bangkok and business class was seven grand one way. Ooh. And I'm like, man, if there's ever a time to fly business on a 14 hour flight, it's now, but I just yeah. couldn't justify six grand difference. So I'm like, I'll take, I'll take my chances that it's not like a full flight. Cause if it was a full flight, that would be miserable. Right. They're yeah, like, totally. No, they're not serving anything. You can't really like do much. Um, you just sit there with your N95 mask on. So, <laughs> uh, but I got lucky. Yeah. They only had one person per row on the entire flight and they designed it that way. So it was, it was awesome. Totally. The was a good call on, on flying economy. The best is they're all over you to keep your mask up. And then five minutes later, food and drinks, food and drinks, food and drinks. <laughs> what? I can't hear yeah, you. Talk, exactly. talk closer to me. <laughs> well, oh, well, so on a related note, I got my first dose of COVID vaccine last week too. So two more weeks, I'm fully vaccinated. I'm going as many places as I can go after that this summer. It's on. So <laughs> good for you, man. Still waiting on figuring out how to get access to it in Thailand, but yeah, Get back to the that's States. A, that's the one thing I think we finally got on track here. <laughs> yeah, that's an option. Certainly. Cool. Yeah. So this episode, I'm more excited about than the average episode, I think, because I always give Sam a lot of crap that he, he tells these stories. You know, we have a guest on, everything's going well. And then Sam's like, oh, one more thing. <laughs> um, I did this back in the day and I made a huge mistake and lost a ton of money. And these stories seem to be, keep coming up and up and up and up. And I think nearly every episode we've had a Sam story about some kind of mistake he's made. So we thought we'd put together a cool list of Sam's top 10 mistakes. Derek put me up to this. It's not fun <laughs> to rehash on these and think about them in more detail. 
I think uh, it's really cool I, though, because most podcasts are just telling you about their wins and, oh, I made this stock trade or I bought this house and I flipped it and I made so much money. And you know, all those guys have had at least one bad deal in their life, but they'll never admit it. Yeah. And that's how, that's how you learn, right? You hear about the mistakes, certainly how I learned. And that's why, that's why we started this podcast. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is just no way to go through life. Like <laughs> a making mistakes yourself, but B you give them money to financial advisors. And because you're ignorant, you know, you're giving them too much of a leash and they're making mistakes. And, and, and that's the worst situation is because then you just feel like you've been manipulated and you don't have it in your control. So we'll, we'll go through all of those, but um, it was kind of interesting looking back at some of these. I know I've left some of them out, not purposely, just there's, you know, there's a lot out there, um, but we're going to go through kind of 10 of the 10 of the big ones that I can certainly freshly recall. Awesome. Well, do you want to get the list started? <laughs> okay. Relive yeah, the pain. Let's kick it, let's kick it <laughs> off. Let's kick it off. And, I, and for longtime listeners, I wonder how many of these will sound familiar and how many of them will sound, uh, will be new, but let's kick it off. So number 10, well, not a specific order, but I, I tried to put these in some type of a relative order of, of least mistake to, to biggest mistake going down to one. So number 10 is one that we have talked about quite a bit recently. And that was my 32 Bitcoin loss in Mount Gox. Oh, I know we've talked about this that's one, a, but it's, it still hurts. <laughs> that's a stinger. That's a stinger. And I guess the reason I put it at number 10 is because in hindsight, I'm not sure what I really would have done differently. It was a new emerging industry, a, a new kind of quote unquote asset class that that was highly so technical. Around what year did you buy these Bitcoin, Sam? These were like 2011. I was buying them. Okay. Yeah. And then here's the funny story. Here's how I heard about this Mount Gox going bust. I was buying Bitcoin. At that point, I had 60, 64 Bitcoin in Mount Gox. And I had just transferred Mount Gox another like $15,000. And this is when Bitcoin was at like 700, 800 or something. I just, and I, and I, Bear in mind, I had no money, like very little savings at this point. I probably had another 40,000 in, in savings total. And I had just spent like a bunch on Bitcoin and I just wired another 15,000. So it keeps it in perspective when we talk about Bitcoin holdings and don't recommend putting any more than like 5% of your money into Bitcoin or crypto or anything speculative. At this point in my life, I was putting like 25, 30% of my wealth into, into Bitcoin. But Long story short, I was at dinner in Bangkok and I just wired the money to, to Mount Gox. And this guy was sitting across the table with uh, at, uh, dinner. It was like, oh, by the way, did you hear the news? I'm like, no, what? He's like, Mount Gox is going bankrupt. And it was one of those immediately like someone twice your size punches straight in the stomach. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, like A, all my coins in there. And B, uh, I just sent $15,000 maybe into a black hole. You know, so I immediately left dinner, went back, called the bank, called Mount Gox and was like, cancel that wire. Um, but I actually I had done something rather smart like two weeks before, which was I had moved half of my Bitcoin holdings into a wallet. Uh, so that, that was safe. But basically the other 32 has been going through bankruptcy court for now uh, since 2013. So it was a big mistake because, you know, if you did a little bit of research on Mount Gox, it used to be a magic card trading platform. There was enough information at the time that says you shouldn't hold, you shouldn't hold your coins in exchanges, you should hold them in wallets. And now I was smart enough at least to have taken that step and get half of mine across, but I still have recorded a massive loss. 32 coins at this point. I just did the math if you want to know. 1.5, 1.5. Uh, well, as of recording this, it's 1.7. So add a couple hundred thousand more to it, Thanks. Sam. Yeah, I'm <laughs> You're welcome. Just step on my head while, while I'm, I'm down, buddy. <laughs> um, well, on the bright side, it sounds like you're going to get maybe some of them back. Maybe. And um, do you still own that other, the other half of the wallet? Yeah, I, I still own a, a, a fair amount of those, but I did sell quite a few on the way up. Um, but I, have a, I still have a significant holding. So I'd make, all in all great decision, but being a little bit smarter about protecting assets and protecting those, even at that point there, it was a relatively small amount of money. Yeah. You know, we're talking 32 Bitcoin back then wasn't a, wasn't a tremendous amount of money uh, as it is today, but you know, 
Well, on the bright side, I could see I could see you just as easily thinking in 2013 or 14 going, why do I even have this? This Bitcoin is not going to do anything. I'm just going to sell it and move it somewhere else. So maybe it's a blessing that even if you only get half of your coins back or a quarter of your coins back, the rise in price is so much. That you know, maybe. Oh yeah, it'll be. Up. You're just gonna it'll get more up. back anyway. So yeah, it'll be up. You know, this what? is actually a really painful episode because we're sitting here talking about number ten, and I'm like, all right, let's just let's move on. I, I just want to be. I want to get off this topic. Let's talk about something good. And I got nine more shit things to go through that are sort of in in a uh, an order that makes them. <laughs> all right. Worse beat, as we go down. We beat, so let's dead, move on. We beat dead coin. This oh, one so really sucks. Yeah. All right, number nine. This one number really, nine. really sucks. I hated this one. I might, I, I could move this to number one easily. <laughs> when yeah, I you got to explain this one. I'm not familiar with this one. Yeah, no, this one was painful. So when I was, how old was I? Uh, must have been like 23. And I got introduced to this group that was taking an old, uh, uh, they were taking an old search engine. It was called a meta search engine called Fazzle. And they had found the guy that owned it and they wanted to raise money for it and rebuild Fazzle to compete with Google and put a bunch of AI into it and stuff. And it was, um, uh, you know, it was this really interesting idea for a 23 year old entrepreneur to kind of get into. Uh, and I had, I had built and sold a, a company in college and, uh, and went and worked for this company called college.com that was, was a startup and it, and, um, they ended up just folding it and selling the domain for like 5 million gonna, bucks or something. I was going to say great domain when, name though. <laughs> yeah. Back when domains were just like gold. Right. So, you know, then I ended up like going and doing road construction because I was like paying the bills, you know, 11 bucks an hour or whatever, until I figure out the next thing. So then people had learned a little bit about like my, my early history as an entrepreneur. And I got introduced to one person who introduced me to these guys that were rebuilding this company called Fazzle. I'm not even sure if it's, it's still up, but uh, they wanted to make me the marketing director. So we went around uh, South Florida and we're like actually pitching this to venture capitalists and stuff like that. And I was, I was the marketing director and they asked me, you know, the, the group we've been working on this for six months say, Hey, we need to, we need to raise, you know, $50,000 quick just so we can start putting money into design and all these things that are going to be needed to, to raise the money to get this thing really going. And so they asked me like, Hey, do you want to put in, you want to put in a little bit of money onto what's called a, a convertible debenture or called a convertible note. Mm-hmm. And I had asked one of the guys in the group, like, you know, do you think it's a good idea? And he's like, yeah, I think it's a great idea. You know, I didn't know much at that time. Right. But I had a little sure. bit of savings. I had probably like 30 grand worth of savings. So I'm like, all right, I'll put, I'll put half in. Hey, for a 23 well, year old kid have 30 grand in savings. I sure didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. So that was good. So I put, put 15 in and uh, things pretty quickly unraveled. And what I realized is like, I didn't even ask, are you putting money in? No, I'm just like the 23 year old (laughs) is putting 15,000 and bankrolling this for like all these 50 year old, you know, corporate. So were you out, you, were you out, um, getting money from other venture capitalists as well? Or was this, they're just, the discussions were going on. Okay. Discussions were going on, but we realized like we needed to, we needed money just to like build out kind of more of a proper concept for the business, you know, proper business plan designs, a basic, basic website, things like this. So I like, you know, it would have been very simple now in hindsight, say, look, I'll put in money, but you guys are putting in money too, or I'm putting in money, but more preferred terms. But I just, you know, I didn't know. I was just giddy about the opportunity. So I'm like, sure, I'll trust you guys, right? Put in 15,000 pretty quickly thereafter things unraveled. um, And I was, and mind you, I'm still doing like road construction at this time. <laughs> and uh, I was I was hoping that this money I put in would help raise the money. And then I would have like a really sick marketing job at this company. I would also own money in, right? Sure. But it didn't work out. And uh, as things unraveled, you know, it became clear, like, you know, there, there was no money in the business. They had put no money into the business. But what I did hold was a convertible note, which I had no idea even what it was. It didn't have an attorney check it over. Uh, and what I could have done is I could have, I could have used that, that debt to basically take over the domain. And then we had, there was a couple other domains affiliated, but that domain was, was pretty powerful. Like it, it did generate a lot of traffic and it would have certainly been worth 15,000, but I was really disgruntled about the whole situation. I, you know, it was licking my wounds and I didn't know what to do at that point. So I just wanted to move on and get away from that whole thing. But sure. in hindsight, 
it was a massive mistake for multiple reasons, but least of which I could have definitely taken over that domain and sold it, but I didn't understand the paperwork and I didn't have any legal advice uh, or any type of advisors that could have pointed me in that direction. And therefore it was a big mistake. That's a big setback at age 29, uh, at age 23. And, um, but a big learning experience as well. So let's say someone else got in a similar situation to that. What would you tell them to do? Just contact a lawyer immediately? Well, you never want to get into any, any type of confusing paperwork without an attorney, right? Sure. I mean, you can have the best paperwork in the world, but if you don't understand it and you're not willing to enforce it, it doesn't matter, right? So you, you got to understand the paperwork. Anytime you're going to do something like this, it, it's worth it. Even on an investment of say 15,000, it's worth it to pay an attorney 500 or $1,000 to understand it and make sure you know what recourse you have if things don't work out. Good advice. So I'm adding up so far, Sam. We got 1.7 million plus 15,000. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's move on <laughs> to number eight. I think this one, personally, from what you've said about it, would sting to me more personally than any of the others, even though it may not be the most amount of money. So let's talk about number eight. Yeah. So you'll start seeing there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of losses in the early days. You know, there's a bunch of losses from basically college through college kind of age 22 to 24. So what happened after road construction is a buddy um, that I had done that had sold the domain recently called me up and was like, Hey, do you know how to run Google ads? And I'm like, yeah, even though I didn't, but I went out and researched it. <laughs> yeah, I got Google. I'll like, figure out. Of course I can. Yeah, I got, I got a Gmail account. It should be no problem. And um, anyways, he's like, well, I, I, like there's this thing called affiliate marketing and it's like the new, new wild west and there's like a lot of money to be made in it. You have to know how to run Google ads, basically. Um, and like there's this new thing, Facebook, which we knew about. And um, so he's like, do you know how to run these, these things? I'm like, yeah, of course. So I go home and research it. He shows me how to do affiliate marketing. And we start making money doing affiliate marketing. So I go kind of from that loss at, at Fazzle to actually starting to save some money again at, at a pretty nice. significant rate. Well, then I have a really good friend, my best friends uh, that I went to college with and was sort of an early mentor to me in, in uh, the fraternity and college days. And he was a really successful guy online. And he took all of his money that he made online during college, which was like close to a million bucks. And he wow. put it into a restaurant lounge oh. in Tallahassee. Oh. And I thought, I know where this is yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. First off, I was like, even at that age, I was like, that seems like a stupid idea. Right. <laughs> but then when I went and visited this lounge, I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. It's like the center of like, it's like the nucleus of the college campus. It's the coolest place to hang sure. out. And he's like, man, if you want to get involved, like, you know, I might be able to have an investment opportunity available and stuff. So I started thinking about this. And one day he called me up. He's like, Hey man, I need like, um, I, I need to raise a little bit of money as like a bridge loan because we're, we're redoing the lounge and I got to cover payroll and stuff like this. And I'm like, Oh, this might be an opportunity for me to get involved. And we, we created this thing where I would loan him 50 grand, which at that point was pretty much all my savings that I just accumulated. And he's, and he said, um, okay, we'll, I'll hold on to this, but we'll pay it out off at $2,000 or grow at $2,000 interest a month. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. cool, man. Like, yeah, you know, pay good. me back in a year, right? That's like, what? That's 24,000 on a 50 grand. I'm like, this is sick. And right. it'll allow me to like get involved in, in the lounge and stuff, kind of come hang out. Yeah, get some free drinks, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, six months turns into six months goes by pretty quick and there's no interest payments and you know, this thing's going bankrupt. And I realized that pretty quick. You didn't get one payment at all? Not, not one payment at all. And by the way, and this is like a really good friend of mine. Um, And it starts going in, you know, you start seeing it in the news and stuff. Like you hear whispers of it from him. Like, yeah, things are, things are tough right now, man. I gotta be honest. But then you see it in the news, like the local news where, Oh, that's never good. (laughs) Mint 101 is, is going underwater and it's like with a lawsuit from the HOA, the community above it and stuff. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. So it, you know, I have a, I, I still am really good friends with this guy. And the joke is that he, like, he's had hard times basically since that point getting back mm-hmm. on his feet, but he's a really smart guy. He just keeps like coming up short. So it's still understood that he owes me that money. The joke in town is 
that it's still technically growing at 2% interest a month oh, yeah. for like, what is We're going like, to get your 1.7 million back in no time. Sam. It's like, it's, it's like nine <laughs> years of 2% accumulating or $2,000 accumulating interest. So it'd be worth like, I don't know. We need to run the math. It's probably worth like a half million bucks right now or something. But what is it? Tw- um, let's say 24, oh, 24 12 times months times nine. times nine times two. And then that would be like compounded. Yeah, over $400,000. There we go. Potentially. Anthony, if you're listening, Sam, I mean. 400 Gs, baby. <laughs> 400 Gs. But uh, let's see. Obviously, don't loan friends money. Yep, unless, I was just going to bring that up. Unless <laughs> you're willing to either A, lose that money or B, lose that friend, right? And paperwork. There was no paperwork. It was like a one paragraph thing that that he and I wrote up. Uh, very, very hard to enforce if push comes to shove, but... This is a mistake that so many people make when they when they get have access to money or or have some type of windfall. They end up loaning friends money. You, you either you're going to lose that money or you're going to lose that friend. The majority of times, so just be careful of that stuff and know what you're getting yourself into. Please don't tell me you ever loaned him any more money after that. I did actually. <laughs> oh, Sam. <laughs> did you, you get that back? Ask, did you get that why back? You always have to ask scary questions, Derek. <laughs> I just, I, I sensed it was still there. When you said you were still friends with him, I was like, something else happened here. You know what I ended up loaning him money for? I hope, I hope if he's listening, he doesn't mind me telling him. He had, uh, he started a Bitcoin exchange and he ended up getting in trouble with the Fed and he needed money to defend himself. Oh, (laughs) like a proper attorney. So (laughs) I I loaned him a little money on that. And um, he actually did pay that back. Nice. It was a smaller amount right. of money, but it's a start. Back. Yeah, it's a start. It's a All start. Right, he's on the road to recovery. Um, <laughs> let's move on. These let's are, move on. These are great. Yeah, I love it. Let's, let's move on. I'm having on. a great let's time, Sam. Oh, what's right. next? Number seven. What is this all about? All right. Number seven is is buying the stock tip from unqualified people. Anyone Wall who's investing bets. Well, yeah. Uh, anyone who's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mr. Money Mustache, uh, sovereign man. You know, your buddy who thinks he understands potash <laughs> assets and things like this. You know, it, it happens to everyone, right? I think if you invest yeah. long enough, eventually someone's going to come around who's unqualified and like, oh man, you just like, this is it, this asset class or this stock. So I bought the hype. I think the ones that stick out, like I mentioned the potash one, you know, I had a, a buddy who knows nothing about <laughs> agriculture. Has never been on a farm. Never- <laughs> yeah, never been on a farm. And like, he's like, you know, he read three or four articles about it and found this like junior potash company in Canada uh, that was a, basically a penny stock. And now it's like a decimal of a penny stock. So lost money in that. I think um, uh, the senior housing trust is probably the biggest one. I read about now, that. On, on now, I wanted to ask you about that because I feel like when you first got that, you were really excited about it. And I, I, thought it was going okay for a while. And then what happened since then, I guess? Yeah, I was really excited about it because someone who blogged about it was really excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it made sense, like senior housing, okay? We have a baby boomer uh, explosion of, of people that are going into retirement right now. Like anything senior housing related is probably going to do well. But REITs are a really funny asset class where like you really need to understand the fundamentals of that business. Like because people are, are attracted towards the, the yield. And I was attracted to the yield and like, you know, Mr. Money Mustache is blogging about how it's paying a 12% yield. And I'm like, holy crap, like senior housing paying 12% yield, boom, put me in for a hundred grand, I'm in. Exactly. You know, and then like the price started dropping and as the price drops, guess what happens? The yield, the yield goes, goes up. down. And you're like, wow, <laughs> now yeah. Yeah, the yield goes up for a That's while like, yeah. until they cut the, until they cut the dividend. And then they go, we can't afford this anymore. So, <laughs> And this is what happened. So like I'm buying on the way down because I didn't understand like this very fundamental way that it, it's going to work. Right. And really what you need to be doing if you're buying roots, you need to like, you know, you don't understand their PL and their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the guests that we've had on the show, Michael Foster, he knew I was in senior housing REIT and he like wrote me one day and he's like, Hey man. And like, he's an analyst. He wrote me one day. He's like, I know you're in senior housing uh, properties. And I have to say, man, I just looked at like their financials and I think you need to cut and get out of that immediately he's like there's no way they can pay their dividend they're about to slash it when they slash it the price can drop even further and i'm like i've already taken such a haircut on this like 
I'll stick it out. And sure enough, like two weeks later, they cut their dividend from like 14% to like 2% or some crap. Oh, I, th- I think that's the hardest emotional thing is just being so stubborn in your head that I made the right move to just not get out and cut your losses at the right time. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And I think that happens to a lot of people. It's happened to me yeah. for sure on stocks that I've bought. And I go, oh no, it'll be back. It'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I've done this too, of like Sovereign Man. I, I think Sovereign Man is like an awesome publication and I've gotten so much value out of it. But I've also, back in the day, they used to put out a lot more about kind of stock picks and asset classes, uh, including like a lot of agricultural companies, uh, mining companies, like water companies and stuff like this. And I'm like, oh, all this makes sense. So I used to buy those and pretty much all of them did bad. And yeah. I think it just goes to show like if you're going to invest in individual stocks, you either really need to note, like analyze them good and have a good feeling about them, or you need, you need to be a user of that product yourself, right? You need to believe in like the mission, say like Tesla, for instance, if you own mm-hmm. a Tesla car and you believe in like what they're trying to do in that mission, cool, you know, take a, take a punt. But for you just to read something off of a blog and go and buy a big allotment of it is, you know, you're playing with fire there. And that's where I've got burned on those things, but all lessons to be learned. Yeah, definitely looking into the financials of any company that you're investing in, not just build off the hype. Although you love your Tesla and that's paid off. I vehemently disagree with Tesla and their business. Um, I agree that they have potential to be great, but their value is insane. The fact that they're valued higher than Ford and GM combined in their stock value is insane. Stop when they're one percent of the to market. A car company, small <laughs> minded. Oh by the way, man. You, by the way, I, I, you're, you are right now, you're talking bad about Mother Teresa, okay? Anyone sorry. who roots against sorry, Elon, Elon. Musk we need to get him on the, Mother Teresa. We got we to gotta get him on the podcast. I'm, I'm blowing it now. So. Yeah, and, and sorry, get him on the Elon. podcast and then compare Tesla to a car company and see what he says. <laughs> all right, we had our one Elon moment. Number six, Skywolf. What's that all about? Oh, let's move on. Let's move oh, on. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we got to hear about it now. <laughs> Oh, all right. Skywolf. After we sold, uh, after I sold Skysig in 2013, had this opportunity to back <laughs> a flipper in South Florida. And this guy was going around and finding kind of all these distressed properties, buying them with cash, rehabbing them, flipping them. Margins were pretty good, you know, like 30% or something. Around what year um, are we talking about? Is this before or after 08 recession? 2000, 2013, 2014. Okay. Yeah. So, and I had two guys that I had done business with before that I trusted and they knew this guy and said every, like they looked into it, everything looked good. So we, we said, okay, let's do, let's do one or two properties together. So we each put in, uh, what did we put in? We each put in, I think 50 grand and we did one property and it paid off. Did one property, it paid off. We each made like, uh, I think 14% on our money pretty quick, you know, like yeah. four month turnaround or something. So I'm like, cool. Yeah. So guy do it again. he's like, I got another property. It's a little bit more expensive. Let's do it again. And um, so we, we ended up wiring him a uh, hundred thousand up front. So he could, you know, so he could put a deposit down, but it, the contract that we had with him before was only for one property. It wasn't for like a fund that we were going to be doing. And so we just sent him, I didn't, I have to say it wasn't me, but they just wired him a hundred thousand dollars to put a a deposit down on this new property, but no paperwork. Well, this guy (laughs) dipped out and we never heard from him again. Walked right away with our hundred G's. A hundred grand. You had no way to claim that it was your, it was money owed to you. No paperwork. That's right. That's right. You said free and clear hundred K. Yeah. So that's, that's one of those kind of knee breaker moments (laughs) where you're like, who do I know that needs five grand that's willing to go take a club <laughs> right. guy's knees? You know, like I mean, I had thoughts like that for months. But so, did I you ever track him down? So, yeah, I mean, he probably could track him down. It's just not—he's not a guy that's like on Facebook. He's just this weird, like crocodile Dundee style character, and that mm-hmm. runs around South Florida flipping homes, but has like no, you know, no web presence, nothing. He's just like this little. Oh, I was going to say, this sounds like one of those kind of one of those movies where the guy goes off to the Caribbean and then, you know, gets a 22 year old girlfriend and (laughs) starts blowing all the money. I'll be real (laughs) mad if you, if that was the case, (laughs) if he's just buying Campbell's soup and stuff with a hundred grand, then, uh, but if he's like really enjoying it, then I'll be real pissed. But yeah, what do you do in that situation? Like you basically just have to say, all right, like, let it go. 
Yeah. You can go, yeah. You go chase them down. What are you going to do? Call the police on them? Yeah. And then you go has... pick a fight with them. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's more desperate than you, you know? Exactly. So, oh, this is yeah, so painful, that Sam. That one sucked. <laughs> I'm hurting for you. So, all right. We got <laughs> Sam's first five. Thanks. We're going to get to his top five right after we take a really quick break and hear from our sponsor of this episode of Invest Like a Boss. Let me tell you about this week's Invest Like a Boss sponsor. It is Indeed.com. They know that hiring is one of those things you don't want to mess up. You need to hire great people. It'll take your business to the next level. When stakes are this high, there's only one choice. It's Indeed.com. They are the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates. They got this thing called Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database, and they'll get you great candidates instantly right after you post the job because what you really need is to hire faster unlike some hiring sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility they give you a quality shortlist fast with indeed there are no long-term contracts pause your account at any time and only pay for what you need and if you find that candidate instantly you don't need them for very long another reason to go with indeed is they get four times more hires than all other job sites combined that's according to talent nest so if you want your quality shortlist fast you need indeed check out our offer right now you get a free 75 dollars credit to upgrade your job post when you head over to indeed.com slash ilab this is indeed's best offer anywhere so go now it's indeed.com slash i l a b get your 75 dollars credit indeed.com slash ilab offer valid through march 31st terms and conditions apply Okay, we're back. Sam, we're only halfway through, but I don't know if you're going to make it all the way through here. Hey, after this, we got to do a top 10 wins episode because I'm yes, a little okay. nervous about the law of attraction here. Like if I'm just, if we're spending an hour talking about mistakes and losses. We, gotta we can't be all around. We got to talk about all the major wins and all the wonderful things I got coming on right now. Right? All that. We're going to put those positive vibes Ooh. out in the air. Mm. Get that cheat mm-hmm. coming up next. Sam's top right. ten wins, but we got five more losses to go. Let's talk. Yeah, yeah. let's number let's just breeze five. Through, baby. Breeze through. <laughs> I'm I'm really into this one because I want to do an episode on this topic really soon too. So, what's number five? Number five is losing, actually storing gold, physical gold, in my friend's vault uh, in China. But it's really just storing a valuable asset at a friend's house. That's that's what everyone needs to think about. Right. So when I was uh, over in China for, for SkySig for the business doing manufacturing, I was also traveling quite a bit different places. And I had this, this little bit of a, uh, a hobby where, and it was inspired kind of by Sovereign Man about buying physical gold. And so I would go to some of these places like in Hong Kong and Singapore, and I would buy gold that was minted in that country. Uh, but then I needed a place to, to store it. Really, really difficult to get a lockbox in, uh, in anywhere at that at that point in time. It still is in like Hong Kong, but I would when I would go travel this place, I would buy physical gold, you know, a couple couple gold coins, and I would bring it back to China. And I was basically living at the factory. I had an amazing relationship with my business partner there, and I'm just like, hey, can I just store my gold here until I get a safety deposit box? And he had a safe, so he's like, yeah, no problem. So mm-hmm. I'm like putting gold into um, into his box every time. I get there, you know, and one day um, I hadn't been at the factory for like six months. One day he sends me a photo and the safe is gone. It's just gone. <laughs> and he's like, man, this is really bad. And how I'm big like, of a safe yeah. are we talking here? Huh? How big of a safe are we talking here? Like size wise? Um, let's say like, let's see, like my upper body type of thing. Okay. So maybe like three, three feet or so. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And so I, I would say I had, I think I had like 20,000 worth of gold in there. And, and he also supposedly had like, you know, 150,000 worth of gold and cash and stuff like that. But to me, it looked like, okay, all you have to do to send that photo is like have two strong people move that safe out of that location, take a photo (laughs) and tell me it's it's gone. So you, you never physically went back to, to verify this. Uh, well, I was, I was like in the UK at this time. Okay. So they're just sending me a photo from China saying safe's gone. And he knew how much money I had in there, you know? 
Right. And so at this point, I'm like, oh man, this is so awkward and horrible. And I'm kind of waiting for like, what, what's his response? You know, like whose responsibility is it? Clearly, if it was stolen, I don't think, I don't think he's responsible, you know? Right. Like he was doing me a favor. I took the risk. But then I'm thinking like, but, but was it really stolen? You know? Yeah. So it was just really uncomfortable and awkward. And like a week And you're later, still doing like, business with this person at the yeah, time too, Yeah, we're still right? doing big right. business with them, right? And, and like, it, it's a very dependent business. Like I need him, he needs us type of thing. Yeah. So like a week later, he writes me like, man, I, I, like, I feel bad about the whole situation. So let me just wire you money. Okay. And I'm like, Did he? what do I do? <laughs> do? Do I accept that? Do I not accept it? You know? So I'm like, you know, at that point we had such a put through of business to him that like that type of money, wasn't really anything to him. So I'm like, all right, uh, cool, man. Like, I appreciate you taking care of that. And like the next day he sent me a wire for it. Oh, nice. And yeah. So, but that was just, I, I made, I was made whole of it, but it made our, it, it could have been, a, I mean, it was a really uncomfortable situation to say the totally. least, but I never should have put him in that position. I really shouldn't have. That's a, I mean, it's just, it, it's a no win situation for him. Right. And yeah. And, and who like knows what around. happened if it was all on the up and up and who knows some employee at the factory could have seen you bringing gold in there and they grabbed that. And, and it's, and that very much could have played part in what happened, right? If it truly was stolen, you know, I'm coming in, I'm flying in, I'm giving Dan envelopes of cash (laughs) and gold employees see that. So the fact that he lost money in that as well is very, very well could have been driven by me putting him in that situation to begin with. So that's just a mistake. Don't don't leave valuables with friends. Don't loan money to friends unless you're willing to lose that friend or lose that money. Just keep it all separate. You know, I could have flown that money back to the UK. I could have taken the US. I eventually got a safety deposit box in, in Hong Kong. But yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, totally. So like I said, I want to do an episode on this soon because I realized uh, all my assets are digital and I don't have any property. I don't have... I don't even have a car right now. <laughs> so oh, I just, um, everything's digital. So I want something physical I can hold in my hand and have, but I want to talk to someone about how to, how to properly buy gold and store gold and do it correctly and not put it in your friend's factory safe. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Derek, we have an episode on this with uh, uh, Silver Bullion. Yes. Go back into the vault. <laughs> but if, you, if that doesn't give you enough information, feel free to record another one on the top. Okay, fine, Sam. <laughs> you didn't Let's listen go to, to number episode, four. did you? He's I, caught. I have. We've done almost 200 episodes now. <laughs> I gotta go. There's a lot to go back through. Let's go to number four. Thanks for calling me out. <laughs> number four. Number four is something uh, we talked about before. It is buying RMB, which is Chinese currency, uh, at its peak strength against the dollar and selling it at its peak weakness against the dollar mistake for a couple of reasons one is i won't buy currencies again and just leave them in a savings account i think that's a, a bad way to, to hedge against the dollar the reason i bought rmb was was for a hedge against the dollar rmb was strengthening kind of over the course of like 10 years consecutively at a few percent a year so i figured great i can make a few percent a year and hedge against the dollar but what happened was when i bought it it immediately started to depreciate and it has been depreciating virtually ever since up until COVID. Um, I was short on cash to buy my place in Barcelona. What, what was available that was liquid and I wasn't going to have to take, you know, liquidate other investments it was RMB. And I didn't know where the bottom was. Like it just kept sliding against the dollar and it was getting, I was already down 20%. And I'm like, this could go on forever. Right. And it's mm-hmm. an unproductive asset. It's not making any money. So I sold it. And then what happened immediately, like after selling, it reversed courses with COVID and uh, now it's back to its almost its strength again through COVID. So I lost 20%. If I had held it, you know, through now, I would have been back to basically even. But I think the mistake is, you know, I I lost a lot of money on that. I lost uh, with the exchange rate. I think I lost like 70, 80,000. And we talked about that, I think on the New Year's update recently, but the the way that I, I like doing it now is if you want to hedge against the dollar is invest in a productive asset in that country. So if you want to, if you want say Singapore dollars, great currency, you know, invest in an asset that generates Singapore dollars. For instance, maple, maple tree roots I own and, and every month it, it uh, 
it um, distributes Singapore dollars or Hong Kong dollar isn't necessarily a hedge against the US dollar because it's tied to it. But if it ever devalues it'll, or uh, depegs, it'll probably depeg stronger once it's, once it's floated. So I have investments in Hong Kong and every month it distributes Hong Kong dollars. So I think that's a much better way to do it than just buying the currency pair, especially in, in large amounts. But invest in something that, that yields that currency uh, and then at least it's productive and you don't not in a rush to get out of it if if the currency depreciates. Yeah, for sure. That totally makes sense. Uh, how about number three? This is more of a general Ooh. one. Yeah. But I think it was well, a big hit for you too. <laughs> it was a big hit, but this is a this is this is the genesis of invest like a boss, which is don't have too much trust in your financial advisors. And really you know, encourage you not to even have a financial advisor once you feel like you you've properly educated yourself and are and are informed to make good financial decisions. But after um, we sold the company in 2013, I was in a rush to figure out how to deploy that money and how how to start generating income off that money because I did not know how to do it. Right, mm-hmm. and so my immediate thought was, okay, I ha- already have an investment or not investment bank, a financial advisor with a small account. Uh, and that account was like $50,000, but I had a relationship with them. They were managing that money and it was going up at whatever, four or 5% a year. So I'm like, okay. So I call them up and say, Hey, just sold a business. I have X amount of money and I want to get it like into play immediately. Like I just, I need to start making some money off this because I have no other income. I'm like, so if I wire you this money, can you get it into you know the market right away? He's like, yeah, like a couple of days. So I'm like, cool. Didn't think anything else of it. Send him the money. Well, then what happens is they start calling me like, Hey, we want to do this trade and that trade and put you in this fund and that fund. And I said, guys, like, I don't know, you know, I am trusting you. You're the expert. I don't hands up, man. I I don't know this stuff. Right. I just pleaded ignorance and gave way too much trust. And that's just a bad, bad idea. Right. You never want to look like you have no idea what's going on. You want to ask smart questions. Even if you think that they're dumb questions, you need to ask questions to make them know that you're diligent. So over the course of the next few months, I said, guys, like, I don't, you know, I'm overseas, I'm here and there. I don't want you to have to call me when you think you need to do something for my account. Sure. So they're okay. You have to sign what gives us discretion over your account. It's called a discretionary account. It means we, we can do whatever we want with your account. I'm like, perfect. Like you're the expert. <laughs> Who am I? Like, this is what I'm paying you for, right? Sure. That's a retarded thing to do. You went so into the, the highest commissions possible, I'm sure, after that. Yeah. At one point, they're like, you know, you're a perfect, you're like the perfect client. I'm like, oh, it made me feel nice. But really what right. that meant was like, you're a dumb idiot that gave us a bunch <laughs> of money and are like too trusting and we never have to report or account to you at all. That's what- And we don't ever have to hear from you and- Never and, have to hear from you. You don't challenge anything. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Especially when you think about how much money they're making in the fees. So what happened was- uh, finally, I started asking questions. I started like reading books and educating myself and Money Master of the Game was a big one. But I also started looking at what they're telling me and looking at my account. And I was looking at the market as a comparison to my account. And I would say, hey, you know, the Dow Jones is up 8%. Why is my account only up 3%? You know, during that same time. Oh, well, we're giving you just as much upside with half as much risk. And like, no, start trying to spin everything and sure. making it sound rosy. Just to keep you and- on. <laughs> Yeah. And the, and the more books I read, the more I realized this is, this is just a bunch of baloney. Like they're not performing well. They've got into very niche asset classes like energy. And, you know, they're trying to, to play the whole, like you have less risk, but the, just as much upside card. And I just got really frustrated. And what, and then all of a sudden I, I looked at my account one month and I saw that they had executed some charge, uh, some, uh, some sale of stocks that were in the energy sector. And it, what, what did I look at? The energy, like they bought at the peak and they sold at the bottom. And I'm like, okay, that's like 101, the worst <laughs> thing that you, an advisor is supposed to do. And I called him on it. And the one the like the senior guy picks up, you know, I get transferred to the senior guys like, yeah, you're right. That was my mistake. I'm like, all right, well, thanks for admitting it, but that doesn't correct it. You know, you just right. lost me. You just realized a ton of losses. And over the course of these like two, three years that I was in this account, this managed account, the S&P 500 was up like 30% in, in over those three years, 10% a year. My account mm-hmm. was even. So that's a 30% opportunity loss if I had just done it myself and been in my current allocation or just been in the S&P 500. But also because my account was even, 
a lot of that was fixed income and dividends. So I'm paying tax. So even though my, my net balance is even, you know, I gave a max, it was at X three years later, I'm yep. paying taxes on that because it's generating fixed income and, and, and earnings. So I actually had a loss, right? So I was just, you know, I was beside myself at that point, just in terms of, of, well, if I had 30, if I'd grown my money at 30%, that would have, that was incredible amount of money to me at that point. Um, and I just lost three, I just lost three really valuable years. And I had been spun and manipulated what felt like I was being manipulated by, you know, the smart words and the, the suit and tie of the advisors. And that's what really, really drove me to go overboard in learning and understanding the stuff and the starting of, of this podcast. And um, yeah, that was, and that was really, it was really, really painful, but so, so you said now. you said that was right after you made the exit from SkySig, right? Yeah, that's when so I put those, the, the money into those accounts. Yeah, those who aren't familiar, Sam had a, a multi-million-dollar um, exit from a company he uh, he helped start called SkySig, and so what percentage of you know the um of the sale of the, the you know this new money you mm -hmm. just come into what percentage of that did you give to these guys? Uh, forty percent. Okay, forty percent. So obviously a huge chunk of money. I'm just curious because from what you said, you know, it wasn't like you weren't interested in investing. And in, so most guys, I guess that, that aren't into investing or in, into the stock market or anything like that would just give it to someone and go, okay, take care of it. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it, but you're right. not that kind of guy. So that seems like a really surprising move. I think was it well, because you were just burnt out from the business and you had to say a big windfall and you just didn't want to deal with it or got to keep in mind, think of all these mistakes that we've already talked about. A lot of these mistakes happened before I sold the business before sure. I was 30, okay. year, 30 years old. Right. So I didn't have a lot of confidence that I knew how to invest properly and knew how to okay. analyze stocks, funds, investments, and, or, or paperwork. So I wanted somebody who wore a suit and tie and sat in an office all day and supposedly did this all day. And there was some, there was a bit of history that I had, I mean, a small account with them, but it was making you know, is making four or 5% a year. So I felt like, okay, it's, it's somewhat safe, right? Like they're not going to do worse than the market. Of course, that was an ignorant thought. Um, and so that was the quick way, you know, I, when I had the business, I was living off of that business credit card. Sure. You know, my, every, I wasn't making a, taking a lot of, of uh, salary or anything, but every expense in my life was paid for. And when we sold the company, everything was back on my dollar. So now I had a, a bunch of money in the bank but I didn't have, but I also had all these expenses each month. I'm looking at my expenses right. like, wow, like I actually, I actually live a pretty expensive life. <laughs> now I'm having to pay for all these. When you got to pay for it, it's expensive. All, <laughs> yeah. I got to pay for all these flights. And I, I'm like, it's going to be years before I make income again. Cause I'm not going to get a job. So I'm going to have to build something again. Yep. Um, so I have to make this money work for me. Yeah. So the quickest thing to do is give it to advisor. And I think that is the route that, you know, 90% of people take once they, when they make money, they don't, they don't know. They spent all their life as an entrepreneur figuring out how to build and sell something, but they haven't thought about how to make that money work uh, for you through investment. Yeah, it totally makes sense. All right. We're getting down to the wire. Number all right. two, uh, number two, another painful one. <laughs> we're almost there, Sam. <laughs> all right. So number two has to do with stock options. And this is really important because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity out there with stock options. There's this big move, especially with millennials, to get involved with small business instead of big business. And when I was in college, after uh, some of the stories we talked about earlier with Fazel and the road construction, uh, after doing that for a few months, kind of getting back on my feet after that loss. I got an opportunity to work with a startup down in Miami. It was called Booked. And it was a great, it was all around, it was a great experience. We took this from a paper concept. You know, I met these guys in Miami that literally like showed me a piece of paper, like, here's what we want to build. And, you know, we're both technical. We just need someone to manage the clients and like, you know, the kind of business lingo and stuff like that. And so we took this from like a paper concept into a, a, um, a management plat management software platform for hotels. So like all the back office uh, systems that you would need to run a hotel from like revenue management, booking system, CRM, et cetera. And over the course of three years, built this into a pretty substantial business. And I was now, that was years kind of 23 to 25, let's say. And they had given me stock options in the company that equated to something around like 4% of the business. And again, it was like one of those things they gave it to me. I'm like, gee, man, that's, that's really nice of you. Like it means a lot. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm here for the team type of thing. I didn't really do a lot yep. of 
thinking about that, that I didn't have a, a, um, a attorney check it over. I did a little research, asked, asked a few questions, but other than that, just like kind of put it in my back pocket. Um, and then about, like six months later, I was looking at the opportunity ahead and I said, you know, based on the history of this business, where it's at, I think that my stock options could be worth, you know, a million bucks, but it, it's probably going to take another two or three years to realize that. And at that point I was commuting from West Palm beach down to Miami, like every other day. And it was like, it was pretty intense. And I just decided, you know, like, is the year 25 to 28, like worth that much money? And I thought, uh, maybe not. Like, I think, I, I think I'd rather just start my own thing. It's from scratch. So I went in, but I'm like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll like, I'll still have my options available. Or something. So I went in like the next Monday and was basically like, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to leave, take off, go travel, maybe start something on my own. And he's like, all right, you know, friendly, friendly type of thing, very amicable. And mm-hmm. so I put in like a letter of resignation and that was it. And then like a few days later, after everything was like kind of cool and calm. And I said, like, I'll, I'll help on and support however I can. Uh, I was like, oh, by the way, like my stock option, you know, I just want to see what, what the options are. Like, wh- what can I purchase fast, et cetera? How's it work? And uh, there was no response for like a week. And all of a sudden I get a, a response from him via his attorney. It basically says, you know, because you've already terminated, you, you send your resignation you have no access to these options anymore. You would have had to exercise these options before terminating your agreement. Oh, wow. So you could have even before the termination, there wasn't some kind of time limit. Like you could have, as long as you knew that. Yeah. Because some of the, the options had vested. So I could have, I would have had to pay money for them, you know, but that's sure. okay. Cause I had like my, my options would have been like in the 10 to $20,000 range. So it would have sure. been a risk, but, um, but I, I, I could have gotten them. And I was really pissed off by this whole thing because I had a good relationship with these guys and I'd been a really big part of building this company. And the fact that they weren't, that they were going to do something that was so, you know, just whatever, like, you know, there was, they weren't going to work with me and say, oh, you know, technically X, but Hey, if you want to, if you want to buy, exercise some of these options, fine. Yeah. Like, cool. That's so terrible. Maybe you you could. Maybe you can, you, maybe you can help out for six months, like while we transition you out and like bring somebody new in. Like they could have done so much, you know, to, yeah. to just try to be good about it. But they just came back with like this direct letter from their attorney and it really just pissed me off. And I just, it was the same thing with like Fazl. Like I didn't want to go into like a legal dispute. I didn't want to argue about it at that point. Like, you know, the, the that fact, card. the fact that I they went wanted- to the attorney directly instead of just, you know, coming to you and telling you the deal, it kind of explains it all, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I just wanted to get away from it. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with it. I just wanted to move on. It was the same type of thing with like that, that Fazl deal. Um, so the, the funny thing is, is I'm still friends with these guys, but it still bothers me. Right. Sure. But they ended up selling the company two, three years later, and my options would have been worth, you know, more than half a million bucks. Oof. Right. And, but the, but the, the beautiful thing is that my decision was a great decision going and starting my own thing. Cause I made a, a, a high multiple m- more money by starting my own thing and exiting on the exact same timeline. Like our, both our companies exited about the same time frame, So I made way, way more money. So I didn't feel bad about it, but it still pisses me off to today. I, I feel like Sam, um, at the time of the sale of your company, might have might have thrown a little shade their way about valuations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. But, so, anyways, oh well, that, I, we we did learn say, that it's very hard to not be friends with Sam anymore. You can do a lot of things to Sam, and he'll still be your pretty friend. forgiving. <laughs> pretty forgiving. No one goes through more <laughs> shit than somebody with a good heart. That's for sure. That's why we love you, Sam. <laughs> oh, look, we just, we had this with, with um, it, options are really difficult. We had this, this uh, a similar situation with one of my companies recently uh, where we did a deal and like everyone's options, unfortunately were worthless, you know, and that's, that's the truth with stock options. Like they're really risky unless you stick around with a company through an exit. And then usually they automatically just vest. Uh, and sure. if, if the company's done well, then like you don't have to come out of pocket any money. So they're they're good, but like you don't want to hang up everything on them, right? Because there's there's a lot of ways that they can be, you know, not worth any money. Definitely, um, every but, startup I've been involved with has failed. So you're doing better than me, Sam. <laughs> Is that you think it has anything to do with you, Derek? Or I know I'm starting to think that way. So it's looking that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, All right, let's get this are, over with. We yeah, got one last more. one coming. But one thing on options, like if you're working for a small a small business and uh, 
you know, you're a valuable part of that, you know, get, get equity, get equity. It's, it's Definitely. a lottery taken in your back pocket. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but you might as well have it, have it if you can. All right. Last one, guys, this is not that spectacular. And I'm going to tell you why it's the most important after, but my biggest mistake ever, not on a financial basis, but just because it was my biggest mistake ever selling at the bottom of the 08 crisis, selling at the bottom of the 08 crisis. I was in college. I had a savings account. I was working, uh, you know, I was working all through high school, waiting tables, uh, working at golf courses, making tips. And in college I was working like bussing tables and crap like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had savings account and I had put sit money into uh, different types of mutual funds with the guidance of my dad. We're not talking a lot of money here, 25 grand that I'd saved up, but that was a lot of money to me back then. Didn't really follow it that much. Kind of looked at annual statements. Well, what happened in the recession of 08, I started looking into my account every single day, red lights going off, red lights going off. I sold at the bottom. I I sold at the bottom. I took a a 35% haircut on 25 grand and I punched a hole in my dorm in my fraternity wall and then headbutted it and put an even bigger head. And I was devastated, man. Like I, that was the the most painful loss I've ever had. Um, I was just getting ready to graduate college and like I was moving out of my fraternity house is already like a challenging time. Right. Cause you're going into the yeah, real your world. whole life is recession. Changing. I've just like, I've just lost 35% of what I have, which at that point, that was a lot, a lot of money to me. I didn't know what I was going to do after college. It was so painful. And, uh, and I didn't have advisors. I didn't, you know, I didn't understand market cycles, et cetera. And why is this the biggest mistake? That is such a painful experience to go through, especially like at that age, but I mean, let's face it at any age, right? If it, if you're mm-hmm. getting ready to retire and you make that mistake, it, it can set back retirement for 10 or 20 years. Right. Yeah. Totally. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're married with kids, like, can you, you maybe you can't fund their, their college, but the reason it, it's the biggest mistake and number one is because it's the most common mistake that people make. And it's also the one that's the easiest to avoid. And that is, that is all about learning, right? Learning and having good advisors. Like if you can't, if you, if you're not capable of, of, of weathering that storm by yourself, you should have a financial advisor. Cause you I think that's, that uh, that's, 1%. that's the one reason to, to really have an advisor. If you don't trust yourself to not believe in the market and when a situation like that comes and they tell you, yeah, stay in it, that's worth the advisor fee. But uh, I think yeah. the whole goal of this podcast is to teach people that to have that um, kind of resistance to that panic selling. That's right. And it's going to happen to every generation. Like there's always going to be recessions in a lifetime, you know, every decade, every two decades, twice a decade. And everyone's going to be an investor for the first time at some point during a recession. Everyone will go through it for the first time with having money in, in, in the market. And so you have to be prepared to weather that storm. Do it yourself. Talk in the boss lounge talk with our Patreons. We get into a recession. It was great uh, on our mastermind that we set up, Derek, like all the Patreons that showed up came to that. And we're like, what, what did everyone do in the, in the COVID uh, pullback? And everyone's like, we bought the dip. No one, yep. not one person said I sold and like made a bit, made big mistake. And they, yeah. they could have been, they could have been lying, but I, I believe everyone was being honest. And that's, that's really powerful. You turn a challenge into an opportunity where so many people lost their shirts in COVID and every other pullback. It's the, the most common mistake. It totally derails your, your path to, to retirement, um, your wealth creation. It, at a minimum, it sets back retirement like you know a dozen, a dozen years, but it's the easiest one to avoid. And everyone just needs to be focused on making sure you don't make that mistake. Learn from other people's mistakes, learn from history, and don't make that mistake. And listen to all 170 episodes because Derek hasn't. We called him. We called him on this one. I definitely I wonder have. How many Sam. you've actually listened to? <laughs> <laughs> all right. On that note, <laughs> but seriously, listen to Sam's advice, though. I mean, Sam went through these mistakes, so we could all learn from him. And I totally appreciate you being open and honest about this, Sam. <laughs> I know there's a couple stories hiding in there that we haven't heard about, but we will one day. Um, one day. But definitely the whole community aspect of iLab, uh, that's why I got involved with the podcast because I love it. And now that we have uh, Patreon, you know, the group in there, the mastermind group, especially those crew, they're super savvy. And they've even uh, 
from the first uh, mastermind to the second mastermind, you know, one, one person in there said, I met this person from the first mastermind and now mm -hmm. I'm making money off of that venture. And it's just really smart people. You guys are awesome. Um, the boss lounge, you know, you can join, go to investlikeaboss.com, sign up there. Uh, it's been really active lately too. People, Hey, what do you guys think of this? What do you think of this? And everyone just kind of giving different opinions on different ideas. Or if you want to suggest guests for the show, we're always open to stuff. Sam and Johnny are responding like crazy in there. So a really good opportunity to kind of get invested in the community. If you're just listening to this, first of all, you're already uh, got a, a, a huge step ahead of the average person um, out there. So kudos to you. Definitely. And ask questions. I mean, I think that's one of the, 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 the intimidating parts of investing is people think they're, they're late to the game and they don't want to ask those elementary questions, but just ask them. We have people all the time joining uh, boss lounge and just saying, Hey, guys, I'm new to investing. Just listen to a couple episodes, just started a Vanguard account. That's great. Cause everyone starts down that path, right? It's better to start down that path and start with a, a financial advisor. In my opinion, just get after it early, ask dumb questions, let people respond. People are very helpful because they've all gone through the same thing that yep. you're going through. Even if they've been investing for 50 years, they all, they've all taken that journey. Um, just like a, a few things that when I look back at, at those mistakes that we just talked about, 80% of those happened before we started the, the podcast, uh, before I was 30. And that's when I was doing a lot less investing and a lot, a lot more sporadic. So I think that's testament to just the podcast and just educating yourself. Cause I'm doing 10 X the amount of investing now, but I'm making, you know, touch wood a lot, a lot less mistakes and I'm doing much more complicated investing as well. So I think that that's a big testament just to the, the knowledge and the people that we've had on the podcast and that we've learned from and just applying the knowledge, uh, and you're going to make mistakes, you know, you just try to, you just try to mitigate the number of those mistakes and the, and the, the, the um, you know, the size of those mistakes. Um, the other one is shoddy paperwork. So three of the, those 10 were bad paperwork, but remember, we're non-existent paperwork. paperwork. Yeah. And, and there's actually more, there's like, there's more that I've thought about that have gone bad because of paperwork and paperwork can be very complicated. It can be very intimidating, but even the best paperwork in the world is only as good as your understanding of it and your ability to enforce it. Like if you're going to write up a really good contract, but you don't have the, you know, you don't have the, the guts or the, the stomach to, you know, pursue it. If the deal goes wrong, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Right. So you have to make sure whatever deal you're getting into, think about, think about it as a like postmortem standpoint, if this deal goes mm -hmm. wrong, am I going to, am I willing to enforce it? Um, that's, that's a question that you have to ask yourself, obviously in, in some of my deals, the mistakes I've made, like I had paperwork in place. I just didn't, I didn't know how to pursue or didn't have the desire to pursue it. And in Makes that sense. case, the paperwork's worthless. So yeah. So exactly. knowledge, good paperwork and education, you're going to avoid most of these mistakes. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, let's get to the five star reviews. We had two new reviews this week. Uh, it really helps you guys when you give us uh, reviews on uh, Apple podcasts gets us to the front of the line and really gets things moving. First up, um, last week, my M-I-I-Y-C, five stars, super useful podcast filled with ideas for investing as you grow your assets. I like how the, the discussions after the interviews are not just reinforcing the positive aspects of the guest companies, but also include potential risks and pitfalls. My only issue is that I'm running out of episodes as I listen to the show while I'm at the mm -hmm. gym. Well, I got a solution for that. Stop working out. And then you're all good. Stop <laughs> <laughs> Just stop working out. <laughs> Work out your bank account, man. Yeah. Get gains at the gym biceps. and in your account. Right. <laughs> Take steroids. Uh, one more. Stop working out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jeff Boogie writes, uh, just stumbled onto this podcast to get myself ramped up on investing as I drove around running errands. All the conversations with my girlfriends have turned into investing. And this podcast has helped me keep up to date with trends and investing news. Uh, she does have one little gripe though. I think one thing that would really ramp up this boss club is adding some female voices into the picture. Maybe mm. Johnny's sister as a guest speaker. <laughs> Ooh, Johnny, Johnny Jen. What do you think about we gotta, that? Way to call Johnny out. I, I will say it was, it was pretty, it? pretty dude centric before I got here in the last year I've been on, I've been trying to get some of the ladies on the show. Oh, Oh, uh, ladies, man, <laughs> Derek, turn it yeah, right. around, recruiting uh, all the women. <laughs> should, should I say how many? Of you know? uh, I would we've like had some great, we've had some great female guests. I want to fact check that. I want to fact check that. I, I actually there did actually before this because I read, I actually did before this, before I got here, which is like episode 140 ish. We had two female guests on the show. <laughs> In the last year, 
We've had six. Thank you very much. Uh, Casanova <laughs> over here. That yeah, charm. right. Um, no, but really, um, we're honestly, it, it just kind of happens. Uh, awesome. We love female bosses, male bosses, or anything in between. Um, anything in between. Yeah, any kind of boss. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be on. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, Sally Outlaw from Worthy Bonds. I personally invested in that. She was on episode 150. We learned about MLPs. Um, I know Johnny has MLPs. I just recently got an MLP. Not sure if Sam does. Um, we had Stacy no. Morris on with that. Um, lots of good stuff. We even talked about strip clubs. We had a female strip club owner. Try to find another one of those on another podcast. That's right. <laughs> Two-part two series, strip club owners and strippers. <laughs> exactly. We're doing our part over here at iLab, but I promise we'll get better at it. <laughs> I, love, I love that, you know, based on that last review, I love that iLab is making running errands more interesting. That, that could totally. be a slide. That could be our, our, totally our slogan. Yeah, let us know where you guys listen to because I feel like uh, the car is definitely a big listen, the gym, uh, wherever else, because I want to know. That's some of those stats that you know Spotify or Apple can't give us, so it's really useful um, where you guys are checking us out at. Yeah. All right, with that, right, Sam, Darren, well, you I got, think... You got more work to do. If you, could, if you could try to go work on recruiting some more lady bosses to the boss lounge. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go recruit lady wink bosses. And a smile, <laughs> wink and a smile. Join the boss lounge, wink and a smile. Sam is over there getting his Kleenex to cry his eyes out, reminiscing on these losses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm immediately deleting the notes of this. Episode. I'm actually deleting it right now as we speak. I don't want to see him. Never want to save see it again. There we go. <laughs> And I'm going to immediately go and write up my top 10 wins. Oh, they're going to be so sweet. It's going to feel so sweet to recap those after spending this hour of pain with you, Derek. I think I'll go I get can't a massage wait for while I'm at it. He's going to get a massage while writing about his wins. Sam is living <laughs> the life. All right. With that note. Goals, I'm baby. Get... <laughs> we'll see all you guys next week on Invest Like a Boss. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.